Welcome to No Matter What. I'm Hannah Seymour, and this podcast is all about being who God created you to be no matter what. No matter your past, your current circumstances, no matter your relationship status, your career journey, no matter what life throws at you. Each episode, I invite a friend to talk about what that actually looks like, to be who God created you to be no matter what. Well, welcome back to No Matter What with Hannah Seymour. It is my sheer delight today to have on the phone my friend, who I used to call my 50-year-old best friend, Annie Hutton. Hi, Annie. Hello. (laughs) Annie has discipled me for a long time. I probably should have done the math before we got on the phone, but Annie (laughs) has known me, I mean, really since I was a child. And then I think 11 is, is when we made the eye connection. <laughs> you were 11. I, I was 95 at that time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You were 11. Annie attended the church that I grew up in, in Northern Virginia, and she was often on stage singing solos. And of course, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be doing that and was doing that as a child. And so I watched her and looked up to her. She also looks strangely like my mom. And so people would confuse them. And so anyway, that was just kind of my childhood connection to Annie. And then when I moved back to the D.C. area after grad school, I don't know who sought out who, but somehow we were reconnected and you have spoken into my life on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, depending on the season and Mm. have truly discipled. You know, I think we, uh, most of us are privileged to have folks that are discipling us in seasons and it really is seasonal, but you have been with me through the long haul at this point. <laughs> yeah, all the, all the seasons. Yeah, all the, but you know, it's, it's such a blessing. And I actually, you know, it doesn't happen very often. Um, I remember asking my disciple, you know, did I just make you crazy? <laughs> I was just so slow. And she goes, you were so not and you didn't and you blessed me. And there aren't very many people we get to disciple that make us feel that way uh that the results are exponential and watching you (laughs) you're not allowed to cry on the show because i'll cry (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) but you know it does it there's i mean i disciple a lot of girls you know and i over the years i've really only had one hand on there are a few of late that are are close but you are you're the joy of my life and so I when you talk about me looking like your mom one time this is very beginning we were performing down at uh, Hilton Chapel you were driving up with your family I think your daddy was probably teaching that night and you were sitting in the back seat as I was walking across in front of the car your mother relayed the story to me and she said you said oh there's Miss Annie Hutton, I just wish so much that she was my, and then you stopped. (laughs) And your mother turned around and looked at you, and she just grinned at you. She was the one that told me you said that. It was hysterical. (laughs) I just so wish she was my. You're you're what? God gave gave you. God gave you the right mother. There's no she doubt. She sure about did. It. She sure did. Um, so. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so. But anyway, but yes. So you were the joy of my life, and I can't uh, tell you what a privilege it is to talk with you today. And I hope I can encourage anybody that would hear our words. Um, 
in the same way that I've encouraged you and you've encouraged me. So. Well, I know you will. And, you know, I'm talking to a bunch of different folks about what it looks like to really be determined and committed to being who Christ has made you to be, who Christ mm-hmm. wants you to be, no matter mm-hmm. your situation. And there's so many ways we could go, I think, talking about, well, with anyone. I think everyone has a thousand different ways that they could they could run with that kind of story. Sure. And I think where I want to camp with you is probably for selfish reasons. I realize whether I knew it or not, when we first connected, I was single working and a lot of our discipleship in the beginning was you helping me work through. I had a I had a hard job where I was emotionally charged a lot. I had bosses I didn't like. I had things I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was frustrated. I was all these things. And you really helped me unpack, you know, you can't control that person. So what is going on in you that's causing this? Yeah. What's the sin in your heart? So I was, you know, a career woman, working professional, didn't really envision getting married, didn't really envision having kids. And, but I would look at you and kind of know that was similar to your story. And yet you did get married. You did have children. I truly did remember thinking, okay, I might, I might be married to someone like Bill Hutton someday. I might raise three boys. And the irony, I'm pretty close to. <laughs> to yeah, you're to you definitely seem things. to be headed on the same path. <laughs> I'm married to a guy I mean, a lot like yeah. Billy Hutton and I've got right, two right, boys right. right now. Um, yeah. So, well, God clearly bumped us into each other on purpose because yeah. our, our threads our threads are being pulled parallel, no doubt. Yeah, so, so I kind of want to camp there, but but I want to go back first. Okay, so obviously, if you're wondering where Annie's from, it's definitely the South. It's Mississippi, where she was. Oh, no, this is my fake, my fake Southern oh. accent. I was using it just for today. Oh, that's really kind of you. Mm-hmm. Good, um, isn't it? Raised by loving, uh, strong believing parents, raised you in the faith. Yes. If you think about 16-year-old Annie, what was her mm. vision for her life? What did she think life was going to look like? I knew you were going to talk to me this way. I knew we were going to kind of follow this path. And it's very hard, really, to go back and see exactly how much of a, you know, conflict I was in as a 16-year-old. Because God has been so faithful. And he just, you know, you look back on that and it's almost just neutralized. Um, but I would say I was as typical as anybody else, kind of in a fishbowl. Uh, I was raised in a very small town, Mayberry-like, and you didn't get away with anything because anything you did, somebody saw and called your mom and dad. Right. And so there was kind of a built-in guardrails, if you will. And I think the Lord blessed you and me both by um, with the music, mm-hmm. because when you're a musician and you want to impress vocalists and want to sing, the place to do that is in church and mm-hmm. especially, you know, growing up in a small town. And so it just kept me in the church, singing scripture, I sing in the choir. I, I, you know, my mom has a beautiful voice. She was always in the music program. And so that kept me probably, you know, 80% the north. And then, of course, I had a relationship that uh, really never what God wanted for me and that I would say probably he's a wonderful person. It's just, you know, that was not the path that God had for me. I, I would say unequivocally that to that 16 year old, you're not all in because you're not all in. But God was so gracious in in spite of, you know, that that backpack drill that Andy Stanley talks about a 
uh, I was happy as a clam to have God walk along and be identified as a Christ follower. And if you ask anybody that knew me, then they would say that I was. Mm-hmm. I was the house they came to after I was living by myself and three o'clock in the morning when somebody had a crisis of any kind. Right. <laughs> I was the place they came. And I was thankful for that, that I had that kind of reputation as a daughter of the king. But that relationship, you know, I put God in the backpack and then I'd holly Moran on, but I didn't want him to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And so then this was fast forward through college, working, very privileged to find a great job in South Mississippi, working at the NASA facility. And, you know, I guess that's when my come to Jesus happened to the point where all in became the highest of priorities. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was sick. And it was a death sentence that nobody thought I would survive it. And I was lying there knowing that come Friday, I was going to see Jesus face to face. To them, it was imminent. There's nothing we can do here. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't afraid. I had dying grace. You know, God moves differently when you're sitting in a situation like that. Plus, I was so unwell that dying didn't seem like a problem. It really was going to be a relief. So I wasn't afraid. But what was so compelling, and it weighed on my heart, seeing Jesus face to face, and thinking eyeball to eyeball, he and I are we're going to both know mm-hmm. that I had all of this privilege and all of this opportunity to be solution for glory. I had been trained that way. I had all the advantages, all the advantages that Jesus himself didn't have on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I had every reason to be fully God's. And I had chosen to believe that God wasn't going to get that particular relationship right mm. but, you know and and it was a good thing really it was such a weird relationship because I wasn't convinced I would get married mm-hmm. and have kids I was like mm, probably doesn't work and so but a pain associated with thinking he's going to be disappointed in me mm. even talking about it it's just like it was such a potent compelling regret mm. And so, so you were regretting. He, he and I were going to know. Nobody else knew. Yeah. You know, nobody knows what's in your heart. Yeah. And um, you know, we can we can fake it till others believe it. You know. And I think there's a certain amount of expectation that we don't blurt our sin all over everybody. We do have a responsibility to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. But in our heart, you know, we uh, God was going to know. I was going to see Him in it the thought of what that was going to feel like and be like, I knew it would be perfect love. I really don't even know what that would be like. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, it would feel different. I don't know, but I just don't know how you can look in the piercing face of Jesus and not feel like, oh, why was I not all in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and because I laid there for eight days, just getting worse and thinking, okay, it's going to be the day. It's going to be the day. It was a, uh, it left its mark. Mm-hmm. And so I was down for the count for over a year, mm-hmm. but I began to actually improve. And once, you know, they would come in and you would see the physicians, they would come in and they would actually engage with you. Right. <laughs> they just were like, you're just like a done cause and we just don't know what to say. Right. And I felt so, I remember praying for them. I felt so sorry for them. I went to church with the two primary care physicians and they were just mortified. You could yeah. tell they were just mortified. Yeah. And so at any rate, I was like, I'm going to get another chance. Hmm. And that was it. Done with that relationship. And and you know that story. I told him the next week I met Bill Hutton and the next week we were engaged. And all the people around me had, you know, 
talking about. <laughs> That's a whole okay. other story. But yeah, but it, that, makes, it makes me think of Elizabeth Elliot's whole thing on, you know, it's like, you hear a lot of Christians saying, I'm really struggling with that. I'm really struggling with that. She's like, struggling is called delayed obedience. And I just yeah, love, it's like, yeah, when you finally yeah, decided yeah. to sit up and obey, God's like, all right, great. Cause yeah, I've got yeah. some things for you to do. Like I've yeah, got this yeah, man. Yeah. I well, want it's you like, to... <laughs> yeah. It's like, I always say, we, we do not have a wisdom problem at this point. We have an obedience problem. Yeah. Oh, that's true. And I, even at 16, 17, 18, and of course, at this point, uh, I was 26, but that relationship was in and out and in and out. And it was really just an icon of, I believe, the lie. And, you know, all sin, the root of all sin is a lie. And I just believed the lie that I could do something that I knew God didn't want me to do. Mm. And it was going to be okay. It'd be fine. That's not true. It's just not true. And so I never envisioned it, when you step back at that little person and I would think, well, I thought he would be, that's what my life would be. And I would live in Mayberry and I'd be like Miss Crump. You know, I'd be sitting up there in a house by myself, little A-frame, teaching school somewhere <laughs> and the whistling starts. And I, I envisioned my life like that, hmm. living in a small town, you know, walking to church like everybody else. But I, I never envisioned it outside uh, truth. Right. Certainly didn't see myself living in the D.C. metro area. Okay, so before we keep pressing on in your story, what would you say to the person that's listening to this and they're they're struck with, you know, I'm not all in. I am hanging on to this relationship or this thing in my life. Yeah. I know this is not yeah. God's will for me. I know this is not what he wants How me to I be doing. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to hasten them towards obedience and encourage them? Well, you know, I have this, I've got in my small group that's not so small, about 45 at this point, you know, and I'm discipling these like one-on-one to the fullest. It's like a, you know, Billy calls them the mice running all over the house. It's like a three-ring circus over here. And they're so precious, but they're all similarly situated. You know, all sin is common to man. And to watch all these young women from 18 to really 47, I think it's old, but it's all so similar. I think for me, you know, motivation is everything. Your dad always taught us on that. You know, motivation is everything. What you believe causes you to act and motivation is everything. And so I think we have to start with, if you call yourself a Christ follower, then you, you need to believe that God is real. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that God is real, then everything else follows. You have to believe he will do what he says he's going to do. And we are who he says we are. And I think whenever we struggle in general, the struggle comes from, I'm not convinced I believe God is real, mm-hmm. or I'm not convinced he's reliable, mm-hmm. or he's not who he says he is. He's not doing what he says he's going to do. And so you've got to work there. And I, I believe that God has made himself available. We have everything for life and godliness. And I don't think he would say I am knowable if he was not knowable. Mm-hmm. And so then you just get yourself into a practical application of what does it look like to pursue God in a way that you know he's real, you know he keeps his promises, he's reliable, we are who he says we are. I, I don't know for anyone else, but for me, I had to start there. And then once you get to the point where, okay, God is real. And you know, there's all sorts of books out there. I would say to a new believer or someone struggling with that, you know, Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel, they've written great books about 
historicity and you know there's more fact that Jesus was alive and well and lived on the planet and died and was raised from the dead than anything else mm-hmm. and once you come to the realization that he was real everything else follows because he said that he was God yeah. and so you know so you keep going back to that okay uh, God is real and then in the tension you, you have a choice that's the tension is God pulling you to him and self and Satan is pulling you away mm-hmm. And so once you acknowledge that and you you realize, okay, what lie am I believing? Because the, the temptation to sin is always there. But when you get to the point of I'm going to sin, I, I believe a lie. Mm-hmm. And the lie, that it comes in multiple, you know, facets and aspects. And uh, we're really good at being and justifying. But at the end of the day, if we believe we can do what God tells us not to do. Yeah. And that there will be no negative consequences. Yeah. Now we're off on the wrong path. And what I would tell these young women is like the minute that you get in that tension, you, you and I talked about it. The minute you walk into a room and something creates a tension, identify, mm-hmm. shine a light on that darkness. You know, it will lose its power. Mm-hmm. And once you know what the tension is and you know what God's way looks like versus self and Satan, and the more you go with God's way, practice makes permanent, you yeah. know, and the yeah. more you benefit from the obedience, it's very motivating. Mm. And then you can look back and see the spiritual markers. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> I killed that when I demolished that lie. Yeah. And look what God grew from that, yeah. you know, and then you go to that. And it, it's not linear. It, it, it's exponential. Because, you you know, these young women are like, I'll never be able to be God's will. It's like five bajillion steps between here and there and that's mm. not true mm. you know it's it's almost one step to jesus but it, the more you practice obedience the more permanent it becomes and then it covers uh it, it fills your inner world i think of it the holy spirit filling us up to it's we all have 100 percent of the holy spirit not some portion as we grow and i think of him as filling me up to my outlines and so i stay outside of self mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many practical applications that we can talk about, but yeah. like my disciples said to me, you, you've got to stop. When yeah. I would, I'd lose patience when I homeschool those kids at the act murders, you know, and um, <laughs> I would lose my patience. I, you know, they sitting here doing math, you know, pushing and shoving, and I'm like, stop touching each other. And I, I would say, why is, why am I not being enabled to have patience? And she's mm. like, why are you blaming God for your sin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was like, fine. And she's like, just, just stop. And I was like, you know what? We get to choose, and that's I think when I when that that, that sense of tension came developed in my mind was okay. That's the tension. I have a choice. Am I going to be a solution? And yep. I'm going to be obedient. Yep. And I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to do something else. Yep. And so I would say, if you're struggling, you got to decide what you believe. Yep. And then you've got to remind yourself what not obeying looks like. Yep. That's very motivating. Yep. And then just just choose obedience. Yeah. And look at the great cloud of witnesses. Look at people ahead of you way down the road who have done what God said and see what their lives look like. Mm. And that's, to me, the most motivating Super thing motivating. of all. Yeah. Because if I'm not all in, my life isn't going to, I mean... The way it turns out, it's it's good to show. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, the good thing our God pulls He pulls rabbits out of a hat for us all the time. Yeah, He does, and we can't deny that He's always working it for good. And sometimes, yeah, we get the brunt of the negative 
consequences, it, even that, of course, she's working that for good. We learn hard yeah. lessons, but there are plenty of lessons that, that we learn that he saves us in, in spite of ourselves. Yeah. And so that spiritual buoyancy that comes from obedience carries the day. Mm, that's good. Okay, so you meet Bill a week later, y'all are engaged. I mean, we don't even have time to go into that story, but it's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites. Um, (laughs) I don't have any answers for (laughs) y'all. I'm thankful that 34 years later, we still like each other. And that that just wasn't a real disaster in the making. Could have been. Could have been. Well, you know what? I'll tell people, I will say this. You see people all the time, oh, I'm trying to vet him and I got to date him and I don't know if he's right and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You and I both know that you could marry the most ardent believer, faithful, wise, and you can bring that to the table too. And you can bring these two people that love God and all in Christ followers. And unless they continue to sacrificially love each other every day through the marriage, it's not going to work. Right. So it really doesn't matter what all the how long you date how you vet them yeah it's a daily choice when you wake up every morning with that person next to you yeah Yeah. what you're really looking for is where they are spiritually and what kind of spiritual fortitude are they gonna have yeah because if if it changes and i always tell these young women if you are looking at somebody you're not trying to decide if he's somebody you want to marry or if he's trying to, you're trying to make someone a marry you, you're trying to decide if he's somebody you can help me. Yeah. I, I know that sounds so old fashioned. And, but at the end of the day, is this a man that cherishes you? So he'll listen to you. Is this a man that respects you because he knows you've got wisdom? I mean, all the other things, the chemistry and the affection needs to be there, of course, but you know, years past, they didn't get that. They just said, you're going to marry that one. Right. And so uh, the love develops through, um, right. you know, the only way to gain your life is to lay your own life down and sacrificially. And so you're really looking to, is this a man who will hear me? Uh-huh. Because my job is to make him more godly. And then I get to ride on that coattail. Yep. I could tell just like you could with Tyler. And I think I did have a supernatural sixth sense because I had just been released to go back to work from that medical disability yep. when I met him. I yep. met him and, and I, I was my I had just told God that it doesn't need to be anybody. I'm done with that relationship. Yep. I was ready for it to be just you and the Lord. Jesus and me. Yeah. And I was a hundred percent good with that. And, and I was like, if there's somebody else, that's fine. Uh if there's not, that's fine. Yep. Yep. And so I think he just had I had open eyes for it. It was the weirdest thing because you know I met Billy and he didn't strike me at all. I thought he was very young. He was a little Yankee-fied for my case. Um, he didn't have no accent. Um, and so for the week and a half before we got engaged that first week, I, we didn't even communicate. It's amazing. <laughs> Crazy. But I, I do. I could hear him working. I could hear how bright he was and how kind he was. He, he had a similar job to mine, and it was our, our jobs were hard, a lot of negotiation with under some real real dire circumstances and he was so matter of fact and he was so solutions oriented and his peaceful countenance was so obvious and comfortable in his skin and confident in what he's doing and he loved people he was always considered of the the players you know involved and the circumstances didn't drive his attitude Mm. And I could hear that. I could, he talks real loud, you know, and my office is right next to his. And there was a 
closed door in between the offices mm-hmm. that I could hear him talking. And I was, I, I didn't even realize because I had no interest in him. And in my sub brain, I was just taking in, God, it's really extraordinary <laughs> what he does. <laughs> and, and, and what was most compelling was not, not just how bright he was, but how different the deference that he showed to people mm-hmm. under some very extreme adversarial business drill. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he's like a genius over there. I, I was, and of course, you know, I always had a heart for people and I, I can get behind their eyes. I know that's a spiritual gift for me. And it seemed like that was his. For him too. And then of course we met and then he, you know, our, our faith was aligned and we both wanted the same things. And that was very bad. Yeah. Cause that for where I was concerned, that's all I had to start there. Right. I mean, I love what you just said. His circumstances didn't determine his attitude. I think, I think most people that is not true. Our circumstances for sure determine our attitude. Um, but I mean, as soon as you yeah. said that, I thought that's Annie. I mean, that's you too. I, I, you are the same person. Your attitude is the same in all seasons at all times. And you know, I mean, we're we're, I we're human, it. No, I and so do. we're I all. But I think that's true of my husband. I don't think that that is naturally true of me. I think that is an area of it's, spiritual growth it's where I've watched. I would say you, it's, yeah, it's not. You and I are different in that regard. We're so similar in so many others. But, you know, you, you're a combination of your mom and dad. And there's a reactionary, a fire yeah. in you, a passion. Yeah. And But, you know, um, there are no uh, aspects of us that can't belong to God. That's right. So just reel that in. It's either you're using it for self or Satan and, or, or, or God's glory. And so you've seen what you've done with that. But, you know, peaceful countenance is that's the attitude of Christ. Yep. That's filling yourself with the scripture. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a God's word, uh, not returning void. It's, uh, your dad used to teach us that when he was here at Emmanuel, peaceful countenance, peaceful countenance. Mm. God's people have a peaceful countenance. It's how you can tell <laughs> that they are God's people. We yeah. should not look like the world. No. It resonated so much with me. And remember, I met Billy right after I was sick. We got married very fast. We moved up here six weeks later. We found Emmanuel. Now, we didn't get your dad for a little while, but we had a great teacher before him, very similar. And then he came. All of that, all at the same time, God just, I mean, you talk about pulling a thread. He was pulling a boatload of threads Mm. for me all at one time. And, you know, that peaceful countenance to me circumstances that are not bad or good. I'm not talking about being so heavenly minded when no earthly good, but circumstances are not, we really shouldn't view them as bad and and good. They just are. Mm -hmm. It's like feelings. They're just indicators. They're not bad. And they're just indicators. Okay. Am I going to do this? Like God says, I'm aligning against the foot of the cross and say, okay, that feeling needs to go. And all that fits into peaceful countenance. Am I going to be solution in this moment or am I going to be part of the problem? Mm -hmm. That comes with practicing what you think, demolishing the lies that set themselves up against God's truth and taking your thoughts captive to Jesus. The inner world victory is won with truth. Yeah. And so that narrative in your head about, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, that's going to happen. Wake up, Mary. What's going to happen today? Mm-hmm. That this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. That's a command. It's not just a good idea. Today is full of joy. And if it wasn't full of joy, then God wouldn't say rejoice and be glad in it. That's right. And it can be joy running right alongside grief. Yep. 
and hardship. I mean, we saw that with Ella when my niece died. That joy, Ed, I went down there and I was like, we're going to find the joy. I was so thankful that God had prepared me for that death walk mm-hmm. because I had practiced joy. Uh, you know, we like laughing over here better than anything on the planet. And so, <laughs> I mean, there's always some tomfoolery going on in any given minute. And, and it's, you know, the joy, if you don't acknowledge it and experience it, it rolls away, unacknowledged, unexperienced. It's a waste. God's joy is right there all day, every day. And it just rolls away. And you need it to be spiritually believed for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And most days are ordinary and mundane and just average. And those are a gift because there are people all over the planet who have extraordinary, horrific circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we just take our mundane for granted. They're gifts. And then... When we do have the extreme, like when Ella died, you've got all that joy and all that spiritual buoyancy from that to help carry the day. It's God's gift to us. Mm -hmm. And so peaceful countenance, it is God's expectation of us. It's, It's what makes us clearly identified as Christ followers. Mm -hmm. And for us, daughters of the king, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we are. We are emissaries, daughters of the king. I think of it as uh, and three lives, you know, and where we go, we're just throwing our joy all over everybody else. And it just, it's not circumstance related. Mm-hmm. In fact, Spurgeon says, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that you know, our greatest opportunity to be God's will is in catastrophe. That's right. That's when people are looking at, that's when we focus on what we do know about God, yeah. not what we don't know about God. Yeah. And our good friend, Buddy, who's with Jesus, would say, you get more points when you ride a harder bull. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's gaining something for us to, yeah. to walk through really hard circumstances and still be God's will. People are watching to say, okay, now? Yeah. Now, yeah. are they going to believe? Yeah. Shame on us when our circumstances are a flat tire and we're acting like God forgot us. I know. He's saving us from something. I need you to be here yeah. for about 25 minutes, yeah. not there yet. Yeah. If we can't see it through the eyes of, you know, God's providence. Yeah. Then we got to go back to God is real. He is who he says he is. Mm. We are who he says. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. Just want to interrupt this conversation for a second to talk about high school graduation gifts. Tis the season when students are graduating high school and headed off to college, and I have the perfect gift for you to give a college-bound girl. It's my book, The College Girl Survival Guide, which I wrote from my 10 plus years of working on college campuses and mentoring college students. It's biblically based, but a super practical approach on how to handle the ups and downs of college life, covering the top 52 biggest concerns of college women today. Things ranging from roommate conflicts to dating relationships, how to stand firm in your faith, to finding career direction. You can buy it from me at hannahseymour.com and I will personalize it by writing a note to your college-bound girl and sign it for free if you just use the code, no matter what, all one word, at hannahseymour.com. But get it now because I have a limited amount of copies. Again, that's code, no matter what, at hannahseymour.com. So at some point, 
Okay, so you, you're married, you start having babies, but you have been, I mean, you love your job, you're rising the ranks, you're mm. being groomed, yeah. you know, pr- really yeah. to be like one of the most senior women in the company. And then at some point, I don't remember, I, I know it wasn't, so Kiv's your firstborn, Jack is your secondborn, and Sam is your third. I don't remember mm-hmm. if it was Jack or Sam, but you went, you started working part-time and then you, you felt like I need to be home with these boys and to go even crazier. You decided, I think I'm supposed to homeschool these boys. So <laughs> what I want you to talk me through, cause I think there are a lot of women out there, myself included that struggle, mm-hmm. you know, if we didn't dream of becoming a wife and a mom, and that's a whole different scenario oh, yeah, and conversation about that. women who do and yeah. who don't get that or I, it's delayed. I mean, that's it's like, amazing to me. It's literally I a whole other. I bow with the of women who, yeah. I, I do. Yeah. I bow with the feet of somebody who's like, I just want to be a, a, a mother, yeah. a wife and a mother. Yeah, I'm like, you are and crazy. And I'm like, okay, no, I think <laughs> you, God has specially, he loves you better than he loves me because <laughs> that's not how I was equipped. I mean, I, I love my job and I, I loved what I did and I still think about it all the time yeah and yet I'm like wow I could have missed well I couldn't have because I know now that everything about my life is about God's purpose his glory and yeah. I it's just the blessing I get just a byproduct of that yeah. it wasn't because I made great decisions yeah. or because I was all holy and the the benefit that I get from being obedient is is not necessarily how my life turned out it's the um, the peaceful countenance yeah. and the joy I can feel in the relationship with the Lord on any given day. And you can have that, uh, you know, the single mother in, in Haiti. God loves her just as much as he loves us. Right. And has made that same provision. Right. It's not circumstantial driven. But so let's see, the question then is how did that shift? What yeah, did I, do I think the, the question is, I think a lot of women struggle with, making that decision. They, they want to have it all. We've been told we can have it all. Um, there is a value in our society of working outside of the home. I mean, I do, so I'm not, you know, saying that that's wrong, but there is this kind of like, you know, I think there probably was a time where, where it was really respected if you chose to stay home and, and raise, you know, tiny people. You've got as many opinions as right. you have people, as many opinions as you have Christ followers about what's the, you know, well, that looks great because she's doing it like you are. You're just doing great things for the kingdom when you're not at home. And yeah, you'll have as many opinions as you have. That's and true. you and I've talked about this before. If we're looking at God's model, um, then we would all be in the garden running around naked doing something yeah. different from what we're doing That's right true. now. So God's model uh, and I'm not trying to be glib here, but when people start getting very animated and acrimonious and they start losing their peaceful countenance and their Christ attitude in the discussion about what you should be doing or what mm-hmm. they should be doing mm-hmm. or how it should be done, then I'm like, well, if you're going to use a pristine God model, you got to take it back to what God created in the beginning. Right. And that was a man and a woman at home working together. The men weren't working outside the home either. Yep. Everybody was at home. Yep. Everybody was working for self-sustainance. Nobody was working for currency. And I'm not trying to be, I'm just trying to help us see that. Okay. Uh, okay. So what does that mean for us today? And like, how do I decide, uh, you know, I'm, I'm determined to follow Jesus, right? I'm determined to obey. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
how then do I do that? How do I obey with the wisdom that I have and live out God's will for my life? Well, okay. So the first thing is, and you've heard me say this before, I believe you can have anything you want as long as you don't sin to get it. Yep. And that's going to look different. For every person. For for somebody, for for you, for me. And so, and we would know in our heart you know, whether or not we're sinning to two degree, and of course, the more spiritual mature you get. And yeah, women can have it all. I believe we can have it all. I don't think we can have it all at the same time. I don't either. Um, I think that's one of the I biggest lies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, you can certainly try, but as soon as, and for me, you asked my story was, I worked, so my intent, where <laughs> I believed I was going to go back to work after kids were born. I didn't know because I didn't know anything about kids. I never babysat. I knew nothing about kids. It's a miracle. That, that we got it pregnant as easy as we did, um, given how old I was, and that I just pressed on both of us, you need to do this. Uh, it was just the whole thing was astonishing. And so, and then we, we had Kitty, and I was like, I'll just, I'm going to go back to work and to see what that's like. Yep. And it took three days, and, and I turned in my resignation. Wow. <laughs> I can't do this. I cannot leave him. And my mom was, was there. Her. She came up. Was, yeah. So I, he was in good hands, better hands than if I had been. <laughs> and so, um, much better, by the way. She raised five kids. And, so, uh, and she's like the miracle. She was my first icon, my first Ebenezer mm. spiritual altar because mm-hmm. she just did it all right. My mother did everything. She made all our clothes and she worked full time at NASA and she could fly airplanes and she could fix the yeah. tractor motor. She, I mean, she could all, do anything. Really. <laughs> she, she was beautiful. She kept took care of us. She made breakfast and all the. I mean, she just I don't know how she did it. It's a wonder she's still standing. Yep. And she's just as happy as a clam and beautiful and as viable at eighty six as she ever was. And it's the joy of the Lord. I'm telling you, was her strength, and she exuded that every day all day long. So I did get that vibe, Moses, and I'm very thankful to the Lord for that. But watching her model, I, what I've gleaned from that is that there were seasons that were easier. And for me, I resigned and they said, please don't, please, please don't, mm. don't resign. And so, and I thought, wow, I had way more. <laughs> I wish I'd known that all along. Mm. And so I, um, I said, okay, well, I will stay until you can find somebody to replace me. Well, 30 days later, there was nobody on the horizon. That job was crazy. Job. I loved it. You know, I, I love a disaster better than anybody on the planet. And so nobody else wanted that job. And so they said, well, would you go, would you consider working part-time and just staying in the job, doing it part-time? I had a wonderful, very confident deputy that worked for me. She was clearly my equal and she didn't want to, she didn't want my job. And so when I took the job, I begged her to come over with me and help me with a big, big old operation. And so she did. And she was like, well, okay. So she was managing the day to day. She was working full time and she was managing the day to day. And I was going in two days a week and I did that until Jack was born. Uh-huh. So that was, and they're about 20 months apart. So, you know, you could do the math. Yeah. I was doing that big old and, and it wouldn't have worked, but that was God's provision. She's a great friend of mine. We just had a glorious time working together every day. And yep. so, and then when Jack was born, I went more part time. And then I did that until Sam was born. And I can tell you, I do believe if Sam had not been born so unwell, right? I probably would have stayed part time and would have gone back full time 
and you and I wouldn't be talking today because I'd be working somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I loved my work so much and I loved what I did and not just that uh, money, which was good and the respect and the dignity and, you know, what we accomplished and all that. I just loved the people. I loved being God's emissary in that environment. Yep. And everybody knew my story. I walked in a meeting with my Jesus mom. And nobody <laughs> had any doubt about who I, what my story was. And, and But we were the ones, and there were several of us on my side. We were the ones. When life got dicey, they came to us. Mm-hmm. And so I, I liked having that ministry there. And so, but that said, I wouldn't give anything for the way it turned out. Mm-hmm. And so Stan was born. There was no more work and he was not well for the longest and it was a very interesting two years and uh, I did stay on as a consultant I worked about four more years as a consultant but I was working at home and then once I started schooling which is an astonishing turn of events (laughs) I would never in a million years believe And, and when we started doing that it was one year at a time right and next thing you know, they're all graduated. We did it all the way through, and right. off, you know, and so, and that, and that was like everything else, a, a wonderful, horrible drill. And um, <laughs> I'm so glad we did it, and I'm so glad we're done. And and I, I get notes from my boys all the time now. I'm getting the fruit of that, not giving up. That you know, that blazes don't give yeah. up, and it's good work. Uh, the harvest will come. I mean, I get constantly get texts from my boys saying, you know, the sacrifice we may it's been lost on us until we're in the real world mm. how you equipped us and yeah not just the education but just, they just it's such a blessing yeah I, I think of the verse they rise up you know the, mm. the, the songs they rise bless up you. and bless you mm-hmm. uh, their pearls around your neck whatever and I'm like well I'm not I don't think I'm there yet so early <laughs> so yeah but yeah I see I don't need to worry about tomorrow and today I get that blessing and so so I, I think I couldn't say to you well this is right and this is wrong that's back to the homeschool drill you know the right. homeschool community with the public school community and the private school community and all Christ followers and everybody has an opinion about that and I'm like that's a between you and God drill there God is alive and well in the public schools and so is the evil one and he's alive and well in Christian schools and so is the evil one and he's alive and well in homeschool and so is the evil one. Right. So I don't, that drill was to grow me yeah. as much as it was to grow them. But God wanted my voice to be equipped a certain way. And he equipped me to do, to do that. that. Yeah. And that yeah. was our story. Yeah. God was very gracious to me to let me ooze out slowly. I see these women who just quit yep. and then go home. And people would say to me, I, my colleagues would say to me when I happened to be in, well, Gosh, wasn't that terrible to, you know, just be with children all day and you've been with grown-ups? And I'm like, uh, it's exactly the same. <laughs> they cry and they stamp their feet and they spit on you. And, uh, you know, it, it, I really did think that was funny because on the day-to-day, my innards felt the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> just the same, you know, challenge, will I be solution well or not? But God was gracious to me. Because he weaned me, you know. I mean, I would have never thought when I resigned that they would say, please don't leave. Right. The last time you were here in Nashville, you said something to me that really disturbed me. (laughs) 
that it kind of made me mad. I mean, I, I still don't know if I'm over oh, it. I'm, 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 yeah, that, that's okay. Okay, that's okay <laughs> if I made you mad. I thought you were going to say it just changed me and I've been doing this ever no, since. I'm like, oh, no, like, no, no, I'm resisting. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with it. Okay. As Elizabeth Elliott would okay. smack me over the head. Okay. You looked at me and I was pregnant with Pax. Isaac was, I don't know, doing what? He's well, I shouldn't have around. been talking to you because you were real pregnant. I'm pregnant I should have just not talked to you. And I don't even know why we're talking about this and where, you know, where this came, but you looked at me and you said, these people are your priorities, Tyler, Isaac, soon to be Pax. They are numbers one and two and anything else you're doing, you've got all these other ministries, jobs, all these other things that you're doing. If they are fraying your edges, if they are exhausting you, if they are depleting you to a point where you don't have enough to be truly sowing in, investing in, pouring out for your marriage and for your children, then you got to stop. You got to cut them all out. Like cut every single one that is fraying you. I didn't. Now you're overstated because (laughs) what I would have said is you have to gauge it a day at a time. Mm. There's no way you could look out there and say, okay, well, we start making deals with ourselves. I'm never doing this. I'm going to always start doing it. Now you just push the Holy Spirit Mm. prompting right off the table. You've shoved him off and I'd always put him on that throne. And so it really has to be a one day at a time gauge. But now we're back to you can have whatever you want as long as you don't sin to mm-hmm. get it. You, in particular, somebody else may not know what that looks like. You've been blessed at this stage in your life to know what that looks like. You know, in this moment, doing this and what's going on here, there's a theme of sin that's eking in. Mm-hmm. It's not like, okay, well, today I feel like a terrible mother because I went to work and then I had a flat tire and then I get home and then Tyler had to leave work to go with the kids. And, you know, and, and so that, that isn't a thing. That's a circumstance that just happened yeah. and it was not necessarily related. Yeah. And then you get the option of saying, okay, I'm going to be over frustrated. I'm going to believe somehow God was late or he didn't get it right and he pulled that string today and orchestrated my life in a way that now he's messed it all up and now I'm going to have to be in a pay bottle and I'm going to take that out on Tyler and I'm going to not have patience with my kids and that's what you know a day that goes awry is just an opportunity to be solution yep to do it God's way to model for your kids your sons what kind of wife to marry your daughters what kind of helpmate to be mm-hmm. that's the circumstances of life those are just great opportunities when the world would say, well, that's just aggravating and dicey. You're like, no, it's not. It's just a circumstance for us to walk through and get better and be peaceful countenance and solution and see our lives as beautiful and joyful anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all we're doing is just heading toward glory. But when you begin to see a thing where every day it's becoming more and more of a struggle mm. to keep your peaceful countenance, to keep your inner world untense, you can't demolish the lies anymore. You can't be joyful. You know, when you just begin to look like the antithesis of Christ's attitude, mm-hmm. then you have to come back and say, okay, what is it? What theme is going on here that needs to be reconsidered? Mm-hmm. You know, because it could be, well, I, I can't just quit today. I have committed to finishing this book. Yep. Will you finish it? Yep. 
But then you come back and say, okay, well, now what we need to do and what this looks like for a little while. And, you know, it, it, we're back to seasons again. Yep. Because you might be able to stay home and make them the priority for three months, six months, whatever. Get your game face on. Get your heart back aligned with the heart of God. Get your inner world. That's where the victory happens. Yep. Is in the in the narrative that you say, and you get yourself aligned, your mind conformed to the mind of God. That's that's all the things in Philippians two and Romans twelve and Colossians three and Corinthians thirteen, where you're the love verses and fruit of the spirit. And so you just dwell on all those things, and you and you align yourself with that. And say, okay, if I'm not falling outside of that, yep, then this, it's a good season, yep. and I can keep all the balls in there. Yep. So you may have to set aside for a season. Yep. And then you can go back to adding more. I mean, even homeschool, because I see people who, you know, they think they're holy because, like your parents would tell that people think they're holy because they adopt. The adoption is a holy thing. Right. Or homeschool is a holy thing. Right. And I'm like, um, no, uh, not true. And I would see people that were really not doing anybody a service by schooling their kids at home. <laughs> You know, they just, for whatever reason, they that's not what you should be doing. That doesn't look anything like Christ's attitude yeah. and that sort of thing. So yeah. you stay off for a season, you get your game face back on, and then you get back at it. I, I think we're back to you can have whatever you want as long as you don't seem to get it. Yeah. And if you're not sure whether or not there's some sin you need to ask your wise disciple to walk like you and I are doing now because right. you should have said fashion and said that to you while you were like sitting there mom and half my pregnant. Um, or, or you should have pushed that sooner and because the thing is, is that it needed to be explained, but you need it from somebody wise, somebody older, somebody down the road, somebody trust. And I also think we don't, when we have a struggle like that, yeah, I don't think you need to give voice to it. You don't need to be talking about your struggles and your confusions and your concerns with contemporaries, they can't help you. Yeah. Those of you that are similarly situated around you, they, they may have something to offer, but probably not. Mm. They, they can't look back and say, oh, I wish I had done it like that, yeah. not like that. And then when you give voice to it, you are obsessing over it. Mm. And it really needs to just be shoved through the sieve of scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's land there because really important part to me in this show is I want to talk about at least one piece of scripture in every show. So let me toss you a final question. You're discipling so many women. I mean, you've got this 45 small group, you know, is there a verse or part of scripture that you kind of keep coming back to for several of them or that? Um... Uh, yes, obviously the scriptures that I just mentioned, Philippians 2, Romans 12, Colossians 3, First Corinthians 13 is the one talking about what love is and what, you know, uh-huh. it's always sacrificial. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ has done his life for us. It's love is always sacrificial. We should be loving, loving, functioning out of the day all day long with the love capacity that is endless because we have God in us. And it's going to always look like sacrifice. Yep. Um, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ has done It's not affection. It's, those are important and they're different. But love is always not stale. Right. Holy Spirit, fill me up. I'm outside self. Yep. Zephaniah 317, the Lord is with you. He's mighty to save. 
he will quite rejoice that he would sing. And that just stayed with me all the time. I am God, it's Isaiah. I am God. There's none like me. I will do all that I please. And what I purpose, I will bring about. Mm-hmm. One that I read every week when we're together is Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, because to me, it's like a life cycle. It just covers everything since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders. That's not just sin. That's everything that hinders. And we're talking about work and and, and you're focused on your husband and your kids. Sin is different from hinders. Okay. There are things that hinder you that are not sin. And then the sin that so easily entangles, and that is sin. Uh, let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. God has already marked our days before we lived even one of them. Yep. He knows exactly what's going to hit us in any given day. Nothing but opportunities for him to do something for us to make us more like him. Eyes fixed on Jesus. That's a heavenly minded, everything through heavenly perspective. Not so heavenly minded, doing no earthly good, but seeing life through the eyes of kingdom work. Yep. The joy set before him, Jesus died on the cross. Yep. For the joy set before him, what is it we experience hmm. in this life that's harder than that? Nothing. Okay. He scorned the shame and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and your daddy would say, because he was done. It was finished. Amen. And so that verse just covers what doesn't fall into that verse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 3. What, what doesn't, you know, and I would say for them, they would call me and they're all in a tizzy. And I'm like, for the joy set before him, mm. endured the cross, scorning its shame. Mm. Now, what is it that you're going through right now that can compare to that? Mm. Now they're back to heavenly minded. They're back to God's doing something for me. Yep. No. Yep. to me yep. or, and so I think that one probably it's good. it's good let me read it just to close this out Hebrews 12 1 to 3 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus I'm getting I'm getting emotional. The pioneer pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne Mm. of God. Verse three, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, I told you that you were going to love this episode. And I bet, I realized as we were talking, I bet, see, I'm saying talking because I've been speaking with Annie. As we were talking, I bet some of y'all started picturing Dolly Parton because she does. She has a similar cadence, a similar accent. And she is certainly just as adorable and lovable as the Dolly Parton persona. So anyway, thanks for tuning in and we will be back next Tuesday. 